गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए हरिनाम प्रभु की जाए और भक्तवृंद की जाए और प्रेमानंदे इवनिंग एवरीवन सो एनी थॉट्स टुनाइट एनी क्वेश्चंस आज ये सा क्वेश्चन है जस्ट थिंकिंग अबाउट द फोर डिफेक्ट्स मेकिंग मिस्टेक्स इन रीजन वी वर काइंड ऑफ डिस्कसिंग व्हाट what is really the, the difference between making mistakes and being illusion Prabhupada uses the example of seeing a snake and thinking it's a rope that that's making a mistake and when you see, see somewhere he says an illusion is when you hear say somebody if you hear within, within attention that that'll lead to I guess somehow that's cause illusion but it's, it seems like it's a fine not, you know how to distinguish between illusion and illusion the sanskrit terms are brahma and pramada so brahma means here illusion and pramada means inattention the difference is that if you're inattentive that means if you come into a room then you go out of the room when someone says did you see such and such that picture you said no, i didn't see that so you were there but you weren't attentive in other words the object might have been connected with your sense of seeing but your mind was not connected so you didn't see it you understand that's inattention and illusion is well you can understand from the example that properly gave us another thing you are attentive you see the rope but you think that it's a snake in other words you're attentive in that your sense of sight is connected with the object and your mind is connected to your sense of sight so you're all connected and lined up but you're perceiving it to be other than what it is mm-hmm. so subtle difference but perhaps it's worth addressing in general this idea that there are people whose senses are not imperfect who don't have the propensity to cheat who are not subject to such illusion and so forth So what does it mean? Let's take Prabhupada as an example. If we think that Prabhupada didn't have imperfect senses, then someone might ask, "Well, why was he wearing glasses?" Fair question, right? Does it mean that he'll have to have 20/20 vision? Like this one says, "Doctor also wore glasses." <laughs> You could wear contacts but that might be the cheating propensity. <laughs> <laughs> so in explaining these defects for example in Satsandarbha Sujeeva Goswami he what does he seek to impress upon us he wants to impress upon us that there are imperfect ways of knowing in that they're they cannot arrive at at comprehensive knowledge in and of themselves those being sense perception and the power of reasoning but there is a perfect way of knowing perfect way of arriving at comprehensive knowledge or perfect knowledge and what is perfect knowledge perfect knowledge is that which informs perfect action and what is perfect action what is the perfection of action well in one sense the perfection of action in terms of our how we lead our lives is to become perfectly happy that's why we're doing everything everyone is seeking perfect happiness and sang sidir haritoshanam 
perfection of action is judged in Bhagavatam by the pleasure of Hari, Sangsidhi Hari Toshna. And that action that makes Hari perfectly happy, that is a Hayatuki Apratiyata. That's it. Yayatma Samprasidati. Atma here may mean Bhagwan or it may mean the Jiva. Either, in either case, both things are happening. When Bhakti, Savai Pumsam Paro Dharma Yato Bhakti Dhoksaye. The sages were asked, or Sonaka was asked, what's the best thing you can do, a human being can do with his or her life? And this is the beginning of the answer. Very important verse of the Bhagavad. Savai Pumsa Paro Dharma. The Paro Dharma for all Pumsam, for all beings. Bhakti Radhoksaja. Devotion to Adhoksaja. And here Adhoksaja doesn't mean Narayana. Adhoksaja is also a name for Krishna in Braja in relation to his defeating that Shakata Sura. So you have to read there, study that. But this is the first verse is speaking about Krishna. And how it, how must that, why that Adhoksaja must be Krishna rather than Narayana? Because Ahaituki Apratihata. The bhakti to adhoksuja, who is Krishna, that can be ahoituki and that can be apratiyata. Uh, that means that can be without motive. You can serve Narayan with a motive and get his service. There are whole sampradayas for that. The motive is moksha, albeit a devotional conception of moksha. They want to live on the same planet with Narayan. I'm there. Just like somebody from India wants to get to America. They don't really want to meet the president or the people that made it possible with the immigration visas and everything. They just want to get here and, and enjoy, be here, be happy, live in America, go to heaven. So there are people like want to go to Baikunta for that purpose. This in Bhadi Sampradaya, Bhadi Mark Sampradayas that are directed towards Baikuntam. What do they call the end? Did they call it Prem? That is the language of the Gaudias. Prema Pumarto Mahan. It's Mahaprabhu's language. Prem. I mean, it's a Sanskrit word. But it is not. Prem Prayojan. This is Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And what is the Prayojan of Ramanuja Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya? For example, it is mukti. They call it mukti. What is the difference between this prem and mukti? Huge difference. Therefore, the very sound of mukti became a disturbance to the mind of Patacharya Sarvabhoma after he had been converted by Mahaprabhu. He was a Bhagavad scholar. Well, he was a scholar. He became a Bhagavad scholar also. And when he came across the verse, Mukti Pade Sadayabhak, he crossed out Mukti and wrote Bhakti. He could not tolerate the word. It was his ideal, his goal, his prayojan, previous to his encounter with Chaitanya Dev. Afterwards, he had such repulsion. What does Prabodhananda say? Kaivalyam Narakayate. Same idea, Kaivalyam. The general meaning is Mukti. He said, it's like going to hell. I have no ear for that. 
Of course, Mahaprabhu told Sarvama, he liked it inside, but outside he showed some disturbance. You can't change the Bhagavatam. You can't cross out the word there and put another word in. Think of it like this. Mukti Pade means Mukti Pade. Not just Mukti, but Mukti Pade. Pade means what? At. At Pade. The foot. At the feet. Mukti at his feet. Not just some abstract idea of Mukti where he's not even in view. And Bhagavatam defines Mukti also. Mukti Ritvangitarupam Svarupena Velstitihi. Twofold. Not just eradication of the negative, the general idea of mukti. And what is the negative? Busy life. I've got to work. As I said last night, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, so everybody wants to stop work. Being driven. We've taken from the environment to sustain a sense of identity, a false sense of identity, and now we owe. So it's taking back. And so we're in such a bond. This is troubling. How oh, do we want to rest from that? Stop, stop all work. But is there any work to do? This is the question. Is there any center that we have relationship with and any obligation in regard to and so forth? So general idea of mukti is like this. Stop work. Very reprehensible idea from the Gaudiya Vaishnava point of view. But very desirable on our part. See, the material life is moving like this in terms of Working and in enjoying. Bog and, and Tiag. These are the two tracks on which it works. And then if you even come to bhakti, if you come to bhakti school, you develop faith in bhakti, what is the first thing you're told about the school? Now get this straight, Rupa Goswami says. This is what we're doing here, he says. What is that? No rest here. And no fruit to take. Work with no fruit and no rest from that work. He says, Anyabilashita Shunyam, Gyan Karmadiyan Avritam, Anukulena Krishnanu Shilanam Bhakti Ruttama. So this should be clear what is bhakti. It means doing service to Krishna on his terms. That's what it means. Doing service to Krishna on his terms. It's not about anything for you. It's not about avoiding any problem. It's not about getting any Solution, just about serving him, that's all. He said, to be clear, this is the beginning of his book, this is what you're signing on for here. And let me underscore that, he says, by telling you what it's not. It's not that bhakti that appears to be such devotion, but is encumbered by a desire for jnana or karma, which is, again, the two tracks on which our material life runs. It means to say, he means to say here, you come in the fold of bhakti, but you're coming with this, and now you have to sort that out. Even within the school of bhakti, you will find yourself leaning towards jnana or towards karma within bhakti. That's how you're, you're moving since time immemorial, since time without a beginning. He's given the tatastalakshan uh, of bhakti, shuddha bhakti. It's not about this. It means... He well knows you're going to bring this with you. And so you'll hear about a bhakti, but it's, there's a filter of your conditioning and your desire with relation to karma and jnana, so you're going to hear those things. And you're going to develop some idea of bhakti that's 
about liberation, or it's a little, it'd be a little harsh. It's very tag oriented and uh, oh, mean spirited, even, or the other side of it, the enjoying spirit. Rupa Goswami says, you've got to have a little of both to fare well in this bhakti, because if it's favorable to Krishna in some instance, you have to enjoy. You think gopis want to enjoy? They have absolutely no interest in that. Why do they accept the bliss that they get from pleasing Krishna? The only reason they accept it, Krishna Das Kavira says, is because they know it pleases him to accept it. You understand? This is the point. So sometimes we have to accept happiness if he wants that. And sometimes we have to accept distress if he wants that. So you have to be a little favorably disposed towards either. Not preoccupied with one or the other, but not averse. He's signing on just for this. So he gives a warning like this. Gyan karmadi anavritam. We will gravitate towards that. If people come to the scripture, they'll gravitate towards that. If they come within bhakti, they'll gravitate towards this, this side of bhakti or that side. He wants you to get shuddha bhakti, pure bhakti. And that kind of bhakti, that is, ahoy tuki apratihata, that can be rendered to Krishna. That is Prem Bhakti. It has Haituki, means no motive. That means not even motive for Mukti. And the whole Sambradaya is with desire for that. It's not a bad thing, but it's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching. It's not the best thing, in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's opinion. This is not the best thing. This is not the best that you can gather from the scriptures, what you can draw from revelation, from which comprehensive knowing comes. Ahoyetuki and apratihata. You see, this must be about it, Hoxhita, because bhakti in Vaikuntha is not, in a full sense of the term, necessarily ahoyetuki. It can be based on desire for being near Narayan. If Radharani knows Krishna wants to be near to another gopi, she'll go and bring that gopi there. But often we see that some other gopi wants to go to Krishna, but Radharani interferes and won't let her go. Is she selfish? No. Why does she do it? Because she knows that gopi can't please Krishna right now. Only I can. Only because I can please him most, There, I'm for I'm going there. If in some other instance, for some small thing, someone else can, then I'll help, assist her. So to be close to Narayan, to have a form like Narayan, to live on the same planet with God. Like I said, it means like somebody from a third world country gets a visa or comes to America, gets to immigrate to America. You just go and you can be on the same planet as Narayan. It's a fantastic place. It is Adhoksaja in an ordinary sense. It's very extraordinary. Adhoksaja. But as service there is not ahoyetuki in the sense of the Bhagavatam is speaking of it. It is not apartihata either because something can get in the way of it. You know, Pujapachitamarsh used to give a story as an example. Narada had the darshan of Krishna and Krishna said, Narada, it's so good that you've come. I've got a headache. Please help me out. He said, yeah, what, what to do? How can I cure your headache? And Krishna said, bring the dust from the feet of my devotees. 
And I'll put that on my head, that'll take away my headache. So Nard said, yeah, I'll be right back. You know, he's thinking, what's he talking about? He's got a headache. God can't have a headache. And anyway, what devotee would possibly give the foot dust? Some kind of test. So he, he travels everywhere asking every devotee, and every devotee says, sure, Nard, yeah. real funny. And when he came back to Krishna, Krishna, he said, and I went everywhere, no one was going to do that. Krishna said, no, we'll go to, go to the brudge there, ask those, uh, those uh, uneducated village girls. Nara didn't even think to go there. Oh, yeah, they're devotees too, I guess. Something like that. So he goes there. He asks them. He says, Krishna's got a headache. What can we do? He wants the dust of your feet. Take it. And he said, well, what, what will be the result? Do you know? So yeah, we heard. We probably go to hell for that, but that's all right. It, it will please him then. Of course, it's also said, Narayana para about the devotees of Narayan. Heaven and hell, liberated or liberated, doesn't matter to them. That's also true. But what the story also seeks to bring out is the sense that the gopis would believe that Krishna had a headache. That's how close they are to him, which causes a forgetfulness of his, of his godhood and makes it possible for them to Take the, yes, take the dust, put it on his head. We do that around here all the time. We've seen him many times take the dust of, the, of our mistress, Sri Radha, and put it on his head. That's his place. We know that about him. So Nard was shocked at such a thing. So my point is what? That apratihata, something will get in the way. If we're not close to Bhagwan, like the Brajalila, then something will get in the way. What got in the way of Rukmini? Why didn't she run out of the palace and go and run off with Krishna? She wanted to marry Krishna, right? But she was betrothed to Shishupal. And the wedding arrangements were going on. She wanted to marry Krishna. Why didn't she just like the gopi just run off? They were already married and they ran off. That couldn't stop them. But what stopped her was Dharma, the Vedic law. I have to live within the Vedic law. These are the laws of God. So she's living in, in somewhat in a godly conception. Krishna conception, but a godly Krishna conception with some Aishvarya. So some calculation, some interruption. So she wrote a note gave it to a Brahmin and said, ask him to kidnap me. Please come and kidnap me, Krishna. Because that's like the outer edge of the whole social-religious life with regard to marriage. If a fellow is competent to kidnap, then that's a kind of marriage too. I think they call it a Gandharva marriage or something like that. Usually they're arranged and, and so on. So Anyway, so Krishna came and rescued her. But the point is that she couldn't go. But gopis didn't think like that. So, apratihata. So, this kind of hoituki apratihata, this refers to Krishna in the fullest sense, not to the love of Narayan, which is also called mukti. They don't even call it brain. Like I say, that's our word, Gaudiya word. Now, there is a kind of brain in, in Vaikuntha, and there's no doubt about that. And Sri Rupa mentions it in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, but just once there. There's a brain there. It is a prem, it is a love of, it is a love of awe and reverence. It is a love 
guided by rules. And this is so far from the ideal of love in Vrindavan that practically speaking, for the most part, when you hear the term Prem in Gaudiya circles, they're only talking about Braj. Because there's the full face of love there, where there are no rules. It is said also, there's no love in following rules. Do you understand me? You're doing it, these are the rules. Okay, I'm supposed to do it, therefore I'm doing it. These are the rules, I'm following the rules. There's no love in rules, and there's no rules in love. This is the high idea. But this is the difference between dutiful love, where there's a sense that it should be done, because he is Bhagwan, he is God, and the love of Vrindavan, where the separate interest of the devotee is so absent that even in a spiritual sense, there's no separate interest. There's material selfishness, and then there's spiritual selfishness, wherein one's sense of self is still somewhat contracted. The more selfish we are, the more our self will contract. The more selfless we are, the more it will expand. It's an interesting concept, because it's absolute selflessness, and see how, how much the self has expanded wrestling Krishna to the ground. He has to touch her feet. See how big the self has become. You understand? Conquering Krishna. So this Braj Lila, this, this is absolute selflessness, even from a spiritual perspective. There's an identity between the Jeev and Bhagwan. It's a dynamic identity and unity in love but wholly identified with him. Like, he's mine. He's one of us. We're people from the village, and he's one of us. Well, there's no difference in that sense. We don't treat him deferentially. He's one of us. We like him. We love him. In that sense, but otherwise, Mother Yasoda is treating him like a child, like an inferior. Our friends are sometimes challenging him and defeating him sport and so forth. So this is a very, very extraordinary uh, religious idea. This is a hoituki apratihata yatmasam prasidati. That will satisfy the self. And so action that is informed by perfect knowledge brings perfect happiness. Bhakti is that activity, prem bhakti, that brings perfect happiness and it is Therefore, that activity that's informed by perfect knowledge. This is what we're interested in. We're all interested in perfect knowledge so that we can act perfectly, so that we can be perfectly happy. And what it all comes to is the satisfaction of Hari, that is the perfection of action. And Yagatma Samprasiddhi, we'll be satisfied, fulfilled by that. So, Jiva Goswami is explaining that in Satsandarva, if you want perfect knowledge, which we all do, we're all seeking perfect knowledge. Some people say it doesn't exist. Uh, it doesn't exist, perfect knowledge. So what will we say to them? Well, then we say, who's crazy, you or me? We're both looking for it. You say it doesn't exist, and I say it does. <laughs> so who's crazy? You say I'm crazy for looking for perfect knowledge but because it doesn't exist, but you're crazy for looking for it and saying that it doesn't exist. You are looking for it. You want to be perfectly happy. 
And that means you're looking for the perfect knowledge to inform action that will make you perfectly happy. So, Sasandharma Jiva Goswami wants to tell us at the very onset how you can become perfectly happy. That you have to have perfect knowledge. And where you'll get perfect knowledge? Not from the senses. They're imperfect. And not from someone steeped in conditioned life where these other defects are there. The effects of the senses and cheating and illusion and so forth. He points out the senses are imperfect for knowing comprehensively. Reasoning is imperfect means for arriving at perfect knowledge. He says, well, relying on other people, that's questionable because they have imperfect sense of the propensity to cheat and so on and so forth. So what does he ultimately say? How will you get that perfect knowledge? What, is his, what does he say? He says you have to fold your hands. That's how you're going to get it. Perfection within imperfection in one sense is what? Is to acknowledge my imperfection. That, what that does, because we're moving just the other way. I'm not imperfect. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Uh, I'll be successful. As soon as you realize that I'm imperfect, I need help. Help is available. Then, Bhagavan will think, now I have a receptive ear here. I can, my time will not be misspent. Devotee will think like that, who's doing the work of Bhagwan. Oh, here's a receptive ear. The whole of material life is self asserting. It repels Bhagwan. Like a positive magnet will repel another positive magnet. He's the pusher, he's the sustainer, he's positive. We are actually in a negative position, and we try to act positively by gaining power. Yogic power, intellectual power, monetary power, physical power. This is nothing. <laughs> so this will attract Krishna. I'm powerful. This is a laughing stock to think that this will somehow, you'll conquer him by this. No. By acknowledging that your lack of power and your imperfection and so forth, this is the beginning. So what Jiva Goswami is saying is that if you want perfect knowledge, he directs us to Shastra, which is a huge body of revelation. He's saying, basically, comprehensive knowing will only come from revelation. If God wants us to know about God, we can know. Otherwise, not. So, point is, that if someone accepts that, and then approaches, for example, that large body of revelation, Shastra, and seeks to have his or her life guided by that. Ya shastra vidamutsicca vartate kamakarata na sasidimabhaptnoti nasukam na paramgatim. As Krishna says in the Gita, without that, there is no sukam, no paramgatim, no happiness, no ultimate, no attaining the supreme goal, who acts whimsically rather than by the directives that come from up to down. One does not take direction in life in, in this way, but only according to the mind's demands and so forth. And they cannot be happy. Does that make any sense? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Your mind is busy, busy trying to figure out how to be happy. How happy are you? As happy as you come and take this up, that's as happy as you'll be. And get out of your mind. So he's saying like this, someone who is guided in life like this, this person 
is not subject to those defects. It doesn't mean this person will now have perfect vision, 20-20, and won't need glasses. How can it mean that? If we think that Algarade, for example, Prabhupada was such a reliable person, not subject to those defects, but he was wearing glasses? Was it just a, to test us? No, that's not the idea. The idea is that the person who accepts revelation comes under that guidance. That person becomes a reliable person. That person will not cheat you. That person will not make a mistake and tell you to do something that's not in your spiritual interest, for example. That person will be attentive to your well-being and so on and so forth. Those people that rely only on, who are only in conditioned life, they're subject to these things. When we come under revelation, then we're coming out from underneath conditioned life. And to the extent that we do, then we become what Jiva Goswami calls a reliable person. It doesn't mean, it could mean your senses will become perfect and you have 20-20 vision, but it, there's another way of talking about it. It brings some intellectual you know, in, integrity to it. And you don't have to make up a whole thing. Well, it's just his Leela that he put on glasses. Actually, he can see perfectly. And it just he was pretending to lose his hearing and so forth. This is Sadaka Deha, this body, practitioner's body. It can become perfect also. That's true. It means it can, it can also participate in the Leela. We saw it in the case of Dhruva Maharaj. He went to Vaikuntha in his own body. It's possible. Does that help? Maybe you could just... You were speaking about um, imperfect sense of movement of Prabhupada. To go a little further with making mistakes, there's some devotees saying, you know, Prabhupada never made a mistake in terms of the guidance classes, that you know, he didn't do that. It was a mistake. It was done deliberately to give service to some devotee. So can you address that? No, it means you make no mistake. Just like, I'll give another example. Probably was once asked by kind of a heckler. I've told this before. He said, Do you know everything? And Prabhupada said, Yes. And then the man said, How many windows are there in the Empire State Building? So Prabhupada said, As many as there are drops of water in an illusion, like when you drive in the heat and you see the illusion of water on the on the road, there's no drops of water. That was his answer. He didn't say there were 13,472 open windows and two closed ones at the moment. No, he answered like that. So he's saying he knew, he knew everything. How did he know everything? He knew that this world is a transformation of the modes of nature, the magic of the modes of nature. That people who are under the spell of that are in need of hearing so that they can go beyond that. Comprehensive knowing doesn't mean to know every detail of every aspect of material nature. After all, that is endless too. What about that? Is it even possible? Everything is infinite. We only see from a finite perspective. So what is comprehensive knowing? It's loving Krishna. That's comprehensive knowing. You arrive at this. Reality is lovable. And actually the fact of the matter is, as it said, if you love someone then they'll tell you all their secrets. Gita says, Rajavidyam, Rajaguyam. What is Rajavidya? Ninth chapter, Krishna says, I'm going to tell you, Arjuna, the king of knowledge. And what did he tell him? What's the king of knowledge? 
Who knows the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita? What's the last verse? This is the king of knowledge. bhakto. Become my devotee. Love me. That's the highest knowledge. And if you love me, I'll tell you all my secrets. And if I tell you all my secrets, and who cares how many windows there are on the Empire State Building or anything else about the world, material or spiritual, then who cares what's going on in Vaikuntha, Ayodhya, Dwarka, or anywhere else? And he tells you those secrets, such a private thing. And the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to broadcast those secrets. We should faint. Just to know, he did that. <gasps> faint, right on the spot. We hear it over and over again. Maybe we're interested. Maybe we don't have time to listen. This is our pitiful condition. <laughs> so, real, perfect knowing. So, probably gave a practical answer like this. This is what perfect knowing is. So, not making mistake means never mistaking Maya for Krishna in the most comprehensive sense. Yes? I've been reading in the Brihad Bhagavatam about people that are completely satisfied in the self and desiring liberation, but they haven't engaged in devotional service. Well, what kind of a person is completely satisfied in the self? And, I mean, what kind of people are they? Who are they? Where are they? They are self-satisfied. It means that they, are, they aren't looking for satisfaction outside of themselves. Most people are looking for satisfaction outside of themselves. They're looking in relation to material things. They want a car. They want a house. And they don't realize that the, the reason the car is valuable to me is because it's mine, because I'm in it. It's my house, because consciousness, I've extended myself into it. What's really valuable is consciousness. What's really I'm getting happiness from is myself. Why do I like my house? Because I've extended myself into it by the word, two letters, my, M-Y. I've gone there. I've actually, myself, a unit of consciousness has projected itself into that material thing. And so I'm chasing after the material thing only because I'm in it. That's why it's attractive to me. You understand? By my, I've placed myself there. So it's me, really, that I'm after. You understand? It's what I'm really about is what I'm after. But I misunderstood what I'm about and where I am and what I am. This is the confused material condition. And some people become wise to this. And so they learn the art of becoming satisfied in the self. To become self-satisfied. To go within, as they say, or go within or go without. But are they just like a good person? No, more than a good person. This is jnan, not karma. Not in the realm of karma, but in the realm of jnan. In other words, they're extinguishing karma. In the highest sense, it means like jivan mukta. Like a jnani can be a jivan mukta. So he's taking satisfaction, or she's taking satisfaction in the self only. May not have bhakti. If they don't factor some bhakti in, their liberation will never be perfectly accomplished. But it means like that. So it means big yogi, jnani, those are like planets of, of renunciates. Those are planets only for making spiritual progress. I guess I was thinking there were some people like that on this planet. There could be, yeah. There could be, jivan mukta like that, self-satisfied. You know, the jivan mukta can be devotee also. We call it surup siddhi. 
And Jivan Mukta is generally, a, well, usually it's a, mostly a term that refers to Gyanis, but Sri Rupa Goswami also uses it once. Jivan Mukta Suchate, Karmanamanasagira, whose mind, actions, words, are fully engaged in Krishna's Jivan Mukta Suchate. Even in this body, he's liberated. Jivan Mukta means to be, to be in this body but liberated. With regard to the, the Gyanamarg, it means his or her Parabdha karma, manifest karma, has not expired yet. When it does, death. For the devotee, it means bhava. He or she has attained bhava and is remaining in that body by Krishna's arrangement to develop prem, to cultivate that bhava and turn it into prem. And therefore, that is daivanitrena, or how you say, mahatmanastu mamparta daivim prakritim ashrita, as Gita said, who is moving under the daivim prakritim, the divine energy. Not moving under the influence of the modes of nature, maya shakti, but moving under the influence of sarup shakti. Baba is the ingress of sarup shakti into the heart of the jiva. So the jivan mukta for a devotee, for a bhakta and a jnani is different. When the karma of the jivan mukta jnani stops, he gets liberation. When the karma stops altogether for the jivan mukta devotee, Krishna preserves that devotee's body and infuses in his heart this swarup shakti and then he, culti- he or she cultivates that. So there can be people like that. But there in Brihad Bhagavatam it's talking about people in those, uh, those kind of uh, planets for spiritual progress as opposed to heaven and go up or earth down. And what else? Anything else? Yes. If you could repeat what you were saying about the first thing that Srila Rupa Goswami says when you come to the Bhakti school. So I can, I have a question about that that I want to Yeah, hear. he says, Anyabilashita Shunyam, Gyan Karmadi and Avritam, Anukulena Krishna Anushilanam Bhakti Rutam. He's defining the path, what it is. This is what we're doing. Uttam Bhakti. He defines it in two ways. He tells what is the Tatasta Lakshan and the Sarup Lakshan, the marginal characteristic of it and the primary characteristic of it. The marginal characteristic of it is that which it is not. That Uttam Bhakti is not Bhakti that is encumbered by Gyan or Karma, but what it means encumbered by the desire to, for liberation or the desire for material acquisition. Or that Bhakti that is not encumbered by the thought with relation to karma, that if I don't do this or that, as it's described in Dharma Shastra or in, on the Karma Marg, something will be lacking for me. I have to do that. Bhakti's not enough. I have to also do that. Or, again, that I'm doing bhakti, but I, I want bhakti for the sake of liberation. I'm doing bhakti, and by that I'll get liberation. That that's the goal. Bhakti should not be encumbered by that. So there are people that do bhakti with that in mind either in a, in a sense, in a way that's are obviously recognizable or in a subtle sense. So he says, this Uttam Bhakti is not that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, then, in terms of its primary characteristic, what is it? Anukulena Krishna Anushilanam. It is a Anushilanam. Krishna it is a culture, an ongoing culture of acting in relation to Krishna in, in ways that are favorable to Krishna. In other words, on Krishna's terms. 
So my question is, in the beginning of our spiritual life, is it possible to not be motivated by no. remuneration? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it is possible to know the theory, what is Uttam Bhakti, and to be attracted to that, and therefore be a sadhaka on the path of Uttam Bhakti, even though your bhakti is not the Uttam Bhakti is not fully manifest. You're cultivating Uttam Bhakti. You want that. So you look for these things to be guided in such a way as to overcome these um, these other motivations. And that kind of bhakti, that will satisfy you. So if you're not satisfied, that's why. It's not bhakti's problem. It's other motivations that are in the way. Don't be discouraged. You have to start somewhere. Yes? Can one take a shortcut in developing those higher feelings, it seems like when Bhagavatam is talking about Gopi, it says that you know these were great sages and, and devotees who you know, practiced spiritual life for you know thousands and thousands of lifetimes, and, and all of a sudden you know there we are, you know, trying to become a Gopi. You know, and it just seems just utterly ridiculous. You know, is, is there such a thing as taking a shortcut like that? Well, there is a shortcut, and the shortcut is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So those Upanishads, those Sandakaranya, Rishis and so forth, they didn't have the influence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in their life. They didn't get the same ideal in the highest sense that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to offer, although they got the Braj Bhakti, and it took them a long time. Now, that's as short as it gets, by the influence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it becomes comparatively easy, but it's a long and winding road back home <laughs> to his door. So, and the other answer to your question is no, there is no shortcut. But we should not think at the same time that it's ludicrous for me to think of becoming a gopi or a gopa. We can think Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has offered it, the opportunity, and I become attracted to it. It's his fault. It's his fault. He's done this. And so, we take it for what it is. It's audacious. I have no right for that. But I do want it. I would like to attain that. When I really sit and think about it, I would like to be a devotee of Krishna in Vrindavan, let's say, at least in some capacity. That's why I'm here. We're all here. So, that is very important. That ambition is extremely important. It is the basis, really, of your whole bhakti, that ambition. That ambition is to be cultivated over time, to grow over time. It's a long road. It's not a cheap thing. You can go to Vaikuntha a lot easier. It's so much easier. So this is a test to you, you see. It seems like the older I get, both materially and, and, and spiritually, the less and less I lost. <laughs> And less and less ambition I have, it seems like. You know, I remember when I was just, just learning about this stuff, it seems like, oh yeah, you know, to enjoy those higher mellows. And now I'm like, I'll be real happy when I develop like the you know, real dasya. Well, that's good. That means that you're understanding what it is. That you're getting, a, you have the same ideal that you had when you're young, but you're understanding more of what it is. And you're satisfied to think, if I could get a little bit of this, if I could move in this direction, I would think my life is progressive. The basis of that whole ego, 
to convert the enjoying ego to the service ego. This is the beginning. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said, Jivera Swarupai Krishna Nityadas. This is the Swarup of the Jeev to serve, which is the pitch of service in Sakya and Vatsali and Madhurdiya. That doesn't look like service. It doesn't look like those gopas are serving Krishna. It doesn't look like Mother Yasoda is serving him when she's chasing him with a stick. So they're like, What's she doing? That's God. You shouldn't do that's not how you relate to him. But it is, that is the basis of the whole thing, service. So when we really grow, then we should grow in our understanding of the magnitude of what it is that we're involved in, the height of what it is that we're involved in. And like Sridhar Maharaj used to say, the more you feel, he said in the Upanishads, one who says he knows Brahman does not know Brahman. One who says he does not know Brahman, he knows Brahman. The more you can really think, I'm not there, I'm nowhere near, the closer you're getting. And one devotee said to him, well, what, Maharaj, what if you really think you're not there? He said, really? Then you really? Really you think? Huh. Good. It's also, it seems like the ambition is just less and less. It just seems like, you know, some days I would say, Vaikuntha, wow, you know, I'll settle for it then. <laughs> that you have to be careful of that. <laughs> that you may go there then. You have to have high ideal. You keep good company, then you have a high ideal. In good company, you think, if Krishna came today and said, you can become my queen today in Dwarka, you say, no, no interest. That is Raghavakti. So, <laughs> how much we are on that path, that you can judge by, by that. You are on it to the extent that you have association with that kind of sampradaya, and real devotees in that sampradaya. To the extent we are not, then associated, then, yes, we would not be very well connected to that. And we may settle for something less. This is the thing. That's why you have to have good company and hear about this. Because what that will do is, it will just really make it impossible for you to desire anything else. It's too wonderful. Good company. Very important. You have to hear about this. And... In that company, people who have that sensibility, that kind of ideal, and they cannot be budged from that, and it's just then that is contagious. And their talk that will go in your ear, it says there. And like Rasayana Kata, it will be a, it will rejuvenate you and and then by that, Shraddhāratir Bhaktiyam Manukramish, you go Manukram, step by step, from Shraddha to Rati and Prem. In that company, in that, this is so important. It's everything. We are really a product of our association. Let's face it, we are tatāsta. Neither here nor there. Largely a product of our association. Right? So important. What else? Another question? Yes. More on that point. If you had the ideal of Braj Bhakti and then as you get older it just seems so unattainable. So even if you have that idea, if you somehow, it's really it's to appreciate the value of it. Because that's what we're talking about. Right. That you, you wouldn't think that Vaikuntha was valuable, even though it might seem easier. And you've said that just by hearing about it and associating with people that are aspiring for their, and that's really the solution. I mean, it, it seems sometimes like a long time, but our life is very short. 
Yeah, anyway, if you have good associates here regularly, I'm, I'm telling you, frankly, the idea of Bhakunta would be less, like, unpalatable. No Krishna, no Jamuna, no Govardhana, no flute, <laughs> no cow. Some cows, but no. Yeah. <laughs> Some souls and their surrogates to be in by Let them go. I, I, yeah. know, but I, I, I said, let them go, yeah. So it just would mean that those souls would be attracted to another, to look around and reach a Charya or Sampradaya rather than a Gaudiya Sampradaya? Well, Gaudiya Sampradaya is very far reaching in its outreach in this age, so it, it may catch up people whose inner. Ideal is ultimately Vaikuntha. No harm there. It can take them there better than than Sampradaya is designed for that, even. So that that's also maybe a factor. But most people join because they heard about Krishna. Just about everybody. Because <laughs> that's what we talk about. We don't talk about Narayan. <laughs> We're talking about Krishna. Radha Krishna and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So if you want to think of Dasya Bhakti, then you think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you think, let me serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Dasya Bhakti. I can relate to that. And go to Sadaka Siddhabhumi, this uh, Navadvip, Svetadvip Dham there. All the Siddhas are doing sadhana. It's like a place where Siddhas are all, their Leela is spiritual practice. Go there. Serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Kirtan at the house of Sri Vastaku. Would you like to go and do Kirtan with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Sri Vastaku or Nityananda Prabhu? Have some service. Sometime your Guru Deva say, Now you take the fan. Fan him. In the house of Sri Vastaku every evening, observe the arti. That's easy to identify with. You do that in Dasya Bhakti or Bhakti Deha. That is easy. You do that. Worship in Nadia, live in Vrindavan. It will come naturally then. Mahaprabhu one day in, the, in that kirtan in the house of Srivas will say, Oh, it's you. And see who I am. Show himself as Prajendranandan and you will see your form accordingly. Why not? You can also go that way. So it's easy to identify with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. More complex, identify with uh, the the Brajlila. After all, we are in the extension of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila, practically. This is the real shortcut. Worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu.